truly is a privilege to have Andrew and Claire and the children with us, and Bill and Donna. Good to see them again. So <clears throat> uh, we rejoice that we support missionaries and we desire to do that, and what a privilege it is for us to be able to uh, support Andrew and Claire. And uh, we desire, of course, that the gospel would go out to every nation, to every people, every language, every tribe, that they might come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you have your Bibles, will you turn first of all with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And this morning we want to consider, as we continue in our little series, this pilgrim life. This pilgrim life, I want to consider with you the walking Christian. The walking Christian. So first reading is Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3. The Apostle Paul writes and he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then if you'll turn over to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. Colossians 1, 9 through 12. Again, the Apostle Paul writing to these Colossian Christians, he says, And so, verse 9, Colossians 1, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And then chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1 through 17. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which has been renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all 
and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. And we'll stop there, and may the Lord bless to us the reading of his inspired word. Now let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, what an immense privilege for us to gather as your people this morning, to hear your word proclaimed. We acknowledge, Father, that faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. We desire above all, Father, that each of us this morning, each one of us gathered here might hear your word, might be changed by it, might be affected by it, might be saved by it. How we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our life. Help us to live in him and to walk in him, we pray. So we ask for your help as your word is proclaimed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> when I uh, talk about the pilgrim life, what do I mean by that? I simply mean, of course, uh, the sanctified life, the life of a Christian as it is lived out. This morning, I want to consider with you this great subject called the walking Christian. Not the running Christian, not the standing still Christian, but the walking Christian. For example, every one of you knows that we walk by what? By faith and not by sight. And generally speaking, you go about your daily activities, you walk by what you see. You, you follow the path, you, you watch out for dangers, you can see them with your, your eyes. But in the spiritual realm, in your spiritual life, we're talking about walking spiritually, walking by faith. And you'll notice here in both Ephesians chapter 4 and Colossians chapter 1 that the Apostle Paul, he urges these Christians in the church at Ephesus and the church at Colossae, he says to them that he wants them to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord or worthy of the calling. So for instance, in the Ephesians 4 passage, it's walk in a manner worthy of your calling and in the Colossians 1 passage, it's walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Worthy of the Lord. And that, that word walk that the Apostle Paul uses there is just simply the simple word that we all understand, that one word of what it means to move in a particular or a certain direction. To go forward. Not to walk backwards, that's not what Paul means. He means to walk forward, to continue walking in a particular direction. You'll notice in the Ephesians passage that when he says we must walk in a manner worthy 
of our calling that my walk and your walk is governed by my calling. And likewise, when you read the Colossians passage, and he says, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, it is that my walk is now to be governed also by the Lord himself. So you have these two things, these two ideas, that I am to walk and you are to walk if you are a Christian, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, according to your calling, and following the Lord or uh, in the Lord himself. And you will notice also that the apostle goes a little bit beyond just the idea of walking, but he tells us in which way to walk, walk in a manner worthy in a worthy manner. So he tells me how I must walk. Not just why I must walk, my calling and the Lord Jesus Christ, but he tells me now how I must walk. He says you must walk in a particular way. And what way is that? He says a worthy manner. What's interesting about that phrase, worthy manner, is it's just one word in the original text. One word which is the adverb worthily. So I am to walk worthily of my calling and walk worthily of the Lord. And that's a, that's a word that, that indicates that you walk in a particular way. You walk in a suitable way. You conduct your life, your Christian life, in this way and not that way. You remember how we read in Psalm 1, right, about blessed is the man who does not walk that way. But he meditates or his delight is in the law of the Lord. He walks in the law of the Lord and his delight or his uh, meditation is in that law day and night. So we discover then when the apostle writes to these Christians so long ago, 2,000 years ago, he has specific instructions for how they are to live their Christian life, how they are to walk is the word that he uses. Walk in such a way, he means, that reflects that you are a Christian. So for example, you might come on Sunday morning and portray yourself as walking in a Christian manner, but you go out of that door and tomorrow on Monday through Saturday you walk in another manner. You don't walk in the Christian manner. You don't walk in a worthy manner of your calling and of your Lord. And that's something every Christian has to deal with. We all have to face that as we go through our Christian experience. How is my walk and what is it like? You often hear preachers and others, teachers, talk about the Christian walk. By that, we don't mean, are you a Christian or not? That's not what we mean when we ask someone about their Christian walk. What we want to understand is what kind of Christian are you? What life do you lead? What life do you demonstrate? What life do you show? And the little word walk, your Christian walk, the word walking is indicating what you are demonstrating, what you are showing. It's to be Christian. It's to be godly. It's to be spiritual. It's to be in a manner worthy of your calling as a Christian, and in a manner worthy of you saying you belong to Jesus Christ himself, the Lord. So you could ask yourself this question this morning, what does my life look like? What does my life portray? What does my life demonstrate or show? If you go right back to the beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis, and you read about those famous figures like Enoch 
and Noah in Genesis 5 and Genesis chapter 6. What is it that we read about them that characterized them? When you read the life of Enoch, the Bible simply says Enoch walked with God. That's all it says. That's his testimony. That's his life. He walked with God. And what does that suggest to you? That suggests to you that his life was lived in an intimate fellowship and relationship with God himself. So much so, and so beautiful must have that fellowship and friendship been that God took him. Enoch walked with God. Or, if you think about Noah, Genesis chapter 6 describes Noah as being righteous and blameless in his generation. And what does that suggest to you? That here is a man, one man, the only man, out of all the population on the earth, who was righteous in God's sight, and blameless in God's sight, and in his own generation, the singular man that was this way. And he walked with God, the Bible tells us. So you get a perception, you get an idea of these two men who lived so long ago in the book of Genesis, that their lives are described by their walking with God or walking before God. Nothing has changed. Because they walked by faith, as Hebrews chapter 11 reminds us, and we walk by faith. They were justified by faith, just as we are justified by faith. Noah is not righteous or blameless in and of himself. It is a forensic external justification that is accrued to him because he believes the revelation and the promises of God. And he's justified. And so he walks now by faith day by day. And so that gives us an idea when we think of Enoch or we think of Noah of how they lived, of what their lives were like. And their walking with God is always demonstrated in the context of a relationship with God. So when I say the Christian walk, I mean a life lived out in relationship to God. It does affect each other. We, your life affects mine, my life affects yours. I see how you live, you see how I live, and we observe what we say and we hear what we say. So that's, that's an external application. But really, how you are should be because you have a personal, living, vital, saving relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. So their walking with God is in the context of a relationship that they had with God. And I think that's what Paul's talking about when he talks to the Ephesians and when he talks to these Colossian Christians. So, for example, to the Ephesians, he reminds them that they should walk according to their calling. And the Colossians, that they should walk in light of their relationship to the Lord, or because of the Lord, or before the Lord. And isn't that something that we all recognize as Christians, that I have a responsibility to live this way? That I am under a mandate to live my life in a certain way. You can see in all of these passages, Paul tells us, don't live like that, like you used to live, but live like this. And then he gives the new life. And so you have this great contrast in Ephesians and Colossians between the old and the new, the old self, the new self, the old man, the new man, and what belongs or what constitutes or what reflects the old man or the new man. And every Christian, of course, is a new creature in Christ, a new creation. Therefore, they must demonstrate that they actually are new creatures. How do you do that? 
by your walk, by what people see and what they observe and so on. So we could put it this way, our relationship with the Lord or to the Lord drives our response before God and also our responsibility to God. I have a responsibility to the Lord because Jesus saved me, called me, gave me new life and now I am expected in the light of Scripture to live my life totally different to how I previously lived. I walk in a new way. I walked in darkness, I walked in death, but now I walk in light and I walk in life. And so the Christian life is a, is a transformed life from the old to the new. And so my response to God every time I come before Him is governed by what God has done in my life. He has saved me by grace. He has saved you by grace. Therefore, you are accountable to Him to live in the light of what He has done for you. Now, you cannot truly, of course, walk as a Christian unless you are a Christian. I mean, that makes that's common sense. That's obvious, isn't it? You cannot walk truly as a Christian unless you really are a Christian. I recognize that many people might say they are Christians and you might think they are Christians, but in reality they actually are not Christians. And it's possible someone here this morning thinks of themselves as a Christian, as a believer, but they are not. And of course the Bible teaches us about hypocrisy, doesn't it? It teaches us about false profession. There are many people in the church who are hypocrites and false professors and don't believe what they say they believe. Now when Paul says, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of our calling or your calling, he doesn't mean by calling your daily occupation. You know, like, my calling is to be a doctor or my calling is to be an accountant or my calling is to be a lawyer or my calling is to be a plumber or whatever it might be or a nurse. That's not what he means. We use that phrase, we use that word calling to refer to our life's pattern or our life's work. That's not what Paul means when he says, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. doesn't mean to walk as a worthy doctor, though you should walk as a worthy doctor and so on. But that's not what he's referring to here. In fact, when he uses the word calling here, Paul is very particular in Ephesians 4 to bring to our minds and hearts that this is the calling of the Holy Spirit upon our lives. That this is what brought us initially into our Christian experience. The regenerating, the quickening power sovereignly worked in us by God, the Holy Spirit, in bringing us to faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's your calling. The calling, the work of the Holy Spirit. Now remember the Bible uses language like God called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Notice, He called you out of darkness. You did not call yourself. You cannot call yourself. It's God who calls us out of darkness into His marvelous light. And if you were to go to Ephesians chapter 5, and in verse 8, the Apostle Paul reminds them that you were at one time darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of the light. And you can see how he means that. Don't walk in the dark. Don't walk as you previously walked. Walk in this way. Walk as children of the light. Matthew Henry 
he said that a Christian is someone who is neither ashamed of the gospel nor a shame to it. And I like what Thomas Watson, the Puritan, says. He says that the saints of God are walking pictures of God. The saints are walking pictures of God. They demonstrate, they show forth that they belong to God, that they've been called to this new, brand new life. Now everybody knows that the first three chapters of Ephesians are very doctrinal. Paul gives us his theology of our union or our identity in Christ. You only have to read Ephesians chapter 2, right, to see what a great transfer there was from the old to the new. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You walked according to the course of this world. Notice, you walked according to this world. You lived your life in, uh, under the prince of the power of this world. And you were by nature, he says, children of wrath. And then he swings it, doesn't he, from declaring what we were like, dead in our trespasses and dead in our sins, to say such the glorious statement, but God, who is rich in mercy, saved you by grace. And we discover the great passage, chapter 2, verse 8, we're saved by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. So that nobody can boast about how they were saved by my choice, by my power, but simply by the sovereign calling and the work of God, the Holy Spirit. So having said these statements in chapters 1, 2, 3 about your identity in Jesus, in the remaining chapters 4, 5, and 6, the Apostle Paul unfolds how you're to live in the light of God's salvation, in the light of what God has done. In other words, I am to live and demonstrate how and be, and demonstrate how to live because of who I now am. I'm now a Christian, and therefore I'm to live this way. Your calling as a Christian, and my calling as a Christian, is going to be seen in my conduct, my behavior. One of the things you discover with someone who's become a Christian is that there is a change. That their lives are upended, and everything is brand new, and you see it, and you, and you observe it, and you can, you can picture that. And sometimes we who have been Christians for many, many years, we kind of enter into a status quo kind of position, forgetting the great change that actually took place, that brought you so much joy initially. Sometimes I think perhaps that's what Jesus was referring to when he spoke to the Ephesian church in Revelation chapter 2. You have left your first love. You've forgotten what it was like. You have, you have abandoned your first love. You have given up on, on that experience, that joy that you had in me. And now you are going through the motions because the church at Ephesus was very doctrinal, as Jesus says in Revelation chapter 2. But you've left your first love. And unless you repent and do that at what you did at the first, I will come among you and remove your witness, your lampstand, your candlestick. I'll take it away and Ephesus will be no more. And we believe, according to history, that that's precisely what happened in the church at Ephesus. But Jesus reminds them to repent. And to change. So to walk then is to behave myself in a certain way. Is to conduct myself. To live myself in a new way. And not the previous way. Again that's just Psalm 1 isn't it by David. 
not to walk in the counsel or the way of the wicked, nor to stand in the way of sinners or to sit in the seat of the scoffers. When we turn to Colossians chapter 3, what a marvelous passage. Would it be helpful if you turned there? I know there's three passages and you have to keep your fingers in all three passages. And if you've got a cell phone on which is the Bible, I pity you because you can't turn the pages. So you have to find it and then go back. So in Ephesians, cha- oh, sorry, Colossians chapter 3, I want you to notice what Paul says in verse 5. Colossians chapter 3. He says, put to death, right? Put to death what is earthly in you. And then he, he gives us these sins, sexual immorality, impurity, passion or lust, evil desire and covetousness, which he says is idolatry. You could lump all of that as idolatry. It's all idolatrous, right? It's the substitution of the worship of God for your own self and your own pleasure and your own ends. Or to put it another way, the sins that the Apostle Paul is describing here are internal sins, are inward sins. Yes, sometimes they come out and you observe them, but these are within. These are the internal sins. And look what he says in verse 7, Colossians 3, He says, in these, these sins, you once walked. That was the manner of your life. That was the course of your life. Those sins, that's what occupied your life. He says, you once walked in them when you were living in them. So if if I came to a Colossian before he became a Christian, that's what he was like. And you know the remarkable thing about that is that's what I'm like before I became a Christian and that's what you were like before you became a Christian. Inside. Filthy, dirty, defiled, sinful. He says you once walked in them, he says, when you lived in them. But now look at verse 8. But now, he says, you must put them all away. And now notice he gives another long list of sins, right? Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another. And those sins are not like the first list of sins. Those sins were internal. These sins are external. People get angry with each other. People use bad language with each other, right? Obscene talk. People are filled with malice and slander. This is, this is an external demonstration So you notice how the Apostle Paul is thinking about your previous life and your walk in that previous life. It was was bound by these internal inward sins and it was also demonstrated by these external outward sins. That's the person's life who's not a Christian, is what he says. That's what you used to be when he looks at their lives. But now, he says, verse 8, you must put them all away from you. Get rid of them is what he means. So all of these sins and sinful practices and these behaviors that were demonstrated just naturally, inwardly and outwardly, he says, that used to be your conduct. But that's not what a Christian's conduct is to be like, right? He says, now, verse 9, you must... Put them all away. You have put off the old self. Notice, qualifier, with its practices. What are the practices? All the sins. Your old life with all of those sins. You've you've put it off, he says. 
And look how he says it in verse 10. And you have put on the new self, the new man, which is completely different, right? Because it has been renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So my new self is now a, an expression of living in the light of the image of God and the knowledge I have of God. That God is not like those sins. But God is holy. God is pure. And God is righteous. And so on. And so he says to us in Colossians 3 that we have put on this new self. Well, what does that mean? Look at verse 12. In verse 12, Therefore put on then as God's elect or God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And then look, he gives a new list. And how beautiful is that list, right? This is what my heart is to be like if I am a believer in Christ. Compassionate hearts, or compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Look at verse 13. Bearing with one another. Verse 13. Forgiving one another. And look how he says, let love, in verse 14, bind it all together in perfect union or harmony. And then he goes further, right? Verse 15, let Christ's peace, the peace of Christ, rule in your hearts. We live in a world, by the way, where peace is elusive. We live also in church, in the church, where peace seems to be elusive in the hearts of people who say they're Christians. It's one of the great tragedies, I think, of our modern church and the age in which we live, that within the church, people are not at peace. Perhaps they have never found the Prince of Peace to give them peace. So Paul says, let the peace of Christ, notice, rule, govern your life. Let this be supreme. Let it govern everything, the peace of Christ. Why? Because Christ is our peace. And we have come to faith in Jesus and he has given us his peace. We are at peace with God. God is at peace with us. How could anything be more sweeter than that? And then you'll notice in verse 16, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you in a way richly, he says. I woke up during the night last night with that verse just going around and around in my brain. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And I just had to thank God for his word because of how much I really love the word of God. It means so much to me. It is my life. I have the privilege of reading it and studying it all day, every day, and then proclaiming it every week. God's Word, not my words, I'm not interested in them, you wouldn't be either. I'm interested in God's Word. And so Paul says to these Colossian Christians, where he's giving them these Christian characteristics about this is your life now, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Sometimes we impoverish ourselves by our neglect of the Word of God. We neglect it. Don't neglect the Word. And then he just gives a little caveat, doesn't he, in verse 15 at the end, and be thankful. You know, thanks, thankfulness or gratitude or thanksgiving for the Apostle Paul, I think, was, was quite a natural thing for him because of his background. Because of where he came from. Because of what his previous life was like, where he raged against Jesus, railed against Christ, persecuted the church, caused them to blaspheme, did whatever he could to stop Christ and the gospel. And then God saved him. And his life from that moment on was totally different, right? 
And you, just, you, you get the idea that this is a man who's a very thankful, grateful Christian. He always tells the churches to him, he's right, I remember you, I pray for you with thanksgiving. Thanksgivings to God. He's always thanking God. That's the Apostle Paul. And I'm, of course, prepared to listen to the Apostle when he tells me to be a thankful person because I know that's the kind of person he was. And then finally, verse 17, you do everything and you say everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And of course, ultimately, we know for the glory of God. That's why, that's how we must live. Whatever you do, whatever you say, let it be for the glory of God. So when you read Colossians 3, and I encourage you when you go home uh, this week, think about Colossians chapter 3. This was my past life, Paul says, and this is my new life, he says. And what he means to me is don't walk in the old life, but walk in the new life, or as he says it to the Romans in chapter 6 verse 4, walk in newness of life. Walk this life, a new life. Because that's the Christian life. It's brand new always. It's a new life. So now, having said that, if you go back to the early verses in chapter 3, verse 4, he says in verse 4, When Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with Him glory. Now notice, who is your life now? Christ is your life. Your life previously was all these things. But now it's just one, and it's a person. It's the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, He says. So He tells us, my new life is Christ actually. Christ is my life. And the secret, He says, to putting off the old and to putting on the new is to see yourself as risen with Christ. If you look at verse 1, He says in verse 1, If then you have been raised with Christ, you see that? So he says you are to see yourself as raised with Christ. By the way, that's what we call an aorist passive indicative. And an aorist passive indicative simply indicates that it has happened, and it's done, and that's it. You have been raised with Christ. As far as God's concerned, that's your position. Raised with Christ. And there are repercussions from that actual statement that Paul gives here. Since you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, right? So, I am raised with Christ. So to be raised in verse 1, right here, if you have been raised with Christ, indicates a participation in the resurrection of Jesus. Now we know from Romans chapter 6 that when, Paul, that when Jesus died and was crucified and was buried and rose again from the dead, I, Paul says, and you died with him, were buried with him, and were raised with him. And as he tells the Ephesians, same thing. You're now even seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's a done deal because of your new life. Because Christ is now your life, he says. By the way, you can only have a resurrection if there has been a death. And what is the death? I died through those old sins. That was my old life. I died, he says. And we must seek the things above, verse 1. And we must set our minds on things above, verse 2. Because that's where Jesus is. Why above? That's where Christ, who is my life, is. My life is hidden with Jesus. And you'll notice in verse 3 that he says, For you have died. Now he tells us you have been raised, and now he says you have died. And here he doesn't use an aorist passive, he uses what we call an aorist active. Which implies that it was something that happened, but the effects of it continue. So I died, 
and I am dying, 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 put to death. Therefore, so I'm continually, having died with Christ, continually putting to death these sins for the rest of my life. Because I'm raised with Christ, who is my life. And I must seek the things that are above and set my minds on Christ. Why would I do that? Because I've been called by God to walk in that way. And I've been called by the Lord to be this kind of person. You remember when God spoke to Abraham way back in the book of Genesis and called him to leave his home country and to go to the land that I will show you, that the, this land of promise. That Abraham was, was at least 24 or 25 years in the land and when he was 99 years of age in Genesis chapter 17, God came to him and revealed himself, though he's done it a number of times before. But in Genesis 17 at age 19, 99, God appears to him and God says to him, I am God Almighty. Walk, walk before me and be blameless. Now here's a man who for 25 years has done what God told him who has walked by faith and he's only about to enter in to the beautiful, fruitful expression of the fulfillment of the promises of God by giving him Isaac. And then to enter into that awful experience, now take your son, your only son, go to the mountain that I will show you and offer him up there to me as a sacrifice. That's still to come. But God says to him, Abraham, this is who I am. I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. If you read the history of Israel in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus tells us, or God tells Israel, the nation, that they were to walk in the law of the Lord. Exodus chapter 16. And then you get the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. In Psalm 119, David says this, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the of the Lord. And when you look at Israel, they are to walk after God, Deuteronomy 13. They are to walk in the ways of God, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and chapter 10. You remember those, that, that frightful description of the kings of Israel, the kings of the north. They walked in the sins of Jeroboam. They walked in the same way, in the same manner as Jeroboam did who led Israel astray. But God's people are called upon to walk in God's ways, according to God's word, and according to God's will. So I find I'm not directionless. I, I, it's not that I can say, well, I don't know how to live my life as a Christian. No. <laughs> in fact, I have a whole Bible, praise the Lord, Genesis through Revelation, to help me walk before the Lord in His ways, in His word, and in His will. And that's what you and I are called upon this morning, to be God's people. If you go back to Colossians 1, you'll notice in verse 9 that the Apostle points that out. He says, see, he says I'm praying for you, Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will. Notice, filled with the knowledge. Not just have some surface acquaintance with the will of God, but I'm filled, he says, with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Because I'm going to need help to understand the will of God. All spiritual wisdom and understanding. And what's, the, what's his conclusion to that? So that you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. 
So you see, if you want to walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord, you need to be filled with the knowledge of His will, and you need to have all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And there are consequences to that kind of life. If you look at verse 10 of chapter 1, he says, To walk in God's will pleases the Lord. To walk in God's will or God's ways bears fruit and increases in the knowledge of God. You get closer to God. You know God. Have you observed how people walk today? Just take a drive and see the people on the sidewalk. Looking at their cell phone, head down. That's how people walk today. I was in a medical laboratory uh, a couple of weeks ago. Every single person, every single one of them, sitting there around, head down with a cell phone. How do people walk today? Heads down. They don't look at you. In fact, they'd be shocked if you spoke to them. Might jump out of their skin or something. We're not used to talking and walking as we should and as we used to. Someone has said that if you check your phone, every time you get a message or an email, you're addicted. Do you know that compulsive behavior is obsessive? You just, you just do it. It would be a good test for you this week to turn the phone off for a whole day. Try it. Shut it down. Not just it. Shut the power down, right? And leave it. And don't think about it. Oh, do you think you could manage? You might be desperate to go back and check it. Maybe a message has come. Maybe a text message. Whatever. You see, we live our lives now governed by that. Largely. I think it's true everywhere in the world. Our culture is marked by deep division. And our culture is affected by deadly disease. And our culture is, stands out by marked rank decay. Moral decay, spiritual decay in the church, let alone the country. This is where we are as a people. This is where we are as Christians. Dealing with these kinds of compulsive behaviors that Paul had no idea about. Because all he would have said was, put it away. You died with Christ, you're in Christ, it's done. And what do we do? We drag it back into actual life today because it just maybe helps or it's just plain sinful and wrong you see God's people need to be discerning right always and the interesting thing about discernment is discernment is going to take some determination on your part not to walk according to the course of this world Ephesians 2 2 you need to determine that you're not going to walk like that but I'm going to walk this way before the Lord. And discernment only comes through an increasing knowledge and acquaintance of God and His Word. You want to, you want to be a, a Christian who can discern spiritual matters? You need more of the Word. You need more of the Lord. You need the knowledge of Christ. Increasing. And you need all spiritual wisdom and knowledge to help you apply that knowledge. And that's discernment, right? You see, I know if I can discern God's will 
then I know how to walk and I know where to walk. Or to put it negatively, I know where I shouldn't be. What I must not be like. What I must not do. Now you see, I know my heart. I don't know yours. But I know God does. And I know that right now, God looks into the recesses of your heart and says, you're holding that from me. You're holding something because you like it, love it, whatever it is. You're keeping yourself from me. And when we do that, the way becomes murky and the way becomes suspect to us. And we are frightened by everything that gets thrown at us so that we no longer are able to apply faith, biblical faith, because of saving faith, to my situations. I'm frightened by everything. And Christians today are very frightened people. Very much afraid of what's happening in the world. Paul says in verse 11 of chapter 1, May you be strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might. What a prayer request, right? In fact, I would like you to pray for me this week that I might be strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might. And I'll pray it for you. Isn't that a magnificent request? To ask God for that? Now you know, we talk about and you read about newspapers and internet about our supply chain problems. This is my supply chain. There's no problem. God's supply chain is limitless and endless. I've given you everything you need. And you'll never exhaust it. As long as you live. Keep living and plumbing the depths. Increasing in wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge of God. Notice how Paul puts it there in verse 11. That you be strengthened with all power. Not some power or a little power. But all power, he says. What power is that? That's creative power. That's regenerative power. That's resurrection power. That's how Jesus came out of the tomb. The power of God. Paul says, look, pray that God's power, all of His power, would manifest itself in your life and you live in the light of that. We're so impoverished, beggarly, weak as Christians. I speak to myself. I'm ashamed because I'm, there's, so much, there's so much for me from God. And so often I just want to please myself. Whatever your spiritual needs are today, and I know you have them because I have them. Whatever they are today, God's power is more than sufficient because God is all sufficient. He lacks nothing. Whatever you lack, He can supply. Isn't that true? It's true. And God has redeemed me by His power. God has saved me by His power. God has called me by His power. God has delivered me by His power. And He will continue to do that by His power. In fact, He keeps me by His power. Or to put it this way, as Jude wrote in verse 24... He is able to keep you from stumbling or falling. You believe that? 
can keep you from falling, keep you from stumbling. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Psalm 86. Teach me your way so that I can walk in your truth. The truth of God, which is the only truth. Don't you love that verse verse in Isaiah, right? 40, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. So the walking Christian, he walks this way. She walks this way. In the way of the Lord, in the word of the Lord, in the will of the Lord. That's where the walking Christian is. Now you know, here's the thing. God has not promised that this is going to be easy. But God has promised that he'll be with you every step of the way. And that's the only way you can bear whatever it is. Because God says, I'm with you. You see, the burdens of life will be so much lighter for us and so much easier for us if Jesus carries them for us. But if you try to carry it yourself and leave Jesus out, you will plunge off some precipice and fall and fail. Now, you know, to be in this walk, this kind of life, you have to be a Christian, right? I mean, that's the, the fundamental premise of walking in newness of life, is I have to be a Christian. Oh, how does that happen? You must come to Jesus with your sins and your sinfulness. And you must go to the cross and you must cast your burdens and your sins at the foot of the cross and cry to Christ for mercy. Because only Jesus can save you. Only Jesus can save us. And He does. He saves you if you do these. Come to Him. Believe that what He did on the cross, He did for you. A sacrifice, an atonement. You have to throw yourself on the mercy of the Lord. How merciful Jesus is, right? How filled with love for sinners is Jesus? Because I know it's only at the cross that my sins are forgiven. And not some of them, but all of them. Every single one paid for by the blood of the Lamb. Now you know, dear congregation, if some of you are not sure about these things, or if you're unclear about Jesus and His ways, I'd be more than willing to talk with you. And to show you Jesus. And to show what Jesus can do for you. I'd be happy to do that. People would be happy to do that. Perhaps you have some burden that you're carrying around with you and you can't let it go. I'd be happy to show you how Jesus can take the burden and help you walk in this way. When you read Pilgrim's Progress, right, which is my idea for this Pilgrim's Life, as you know. When you read Pilgrim's Progress, there's the interesting thing that you discover about Christian, right? Christian is on a journey from the city of destruction to the celestial city. From the city of man to the city of God. The interesting thing about Christian in Pilgrim's Progress is that he's always walking. He's walking. He's walking from that city of destruction to that city of God. And as you know, he walks a slough of despond. He gets despondent, right? He walks up the hill difficulty. He walks through vanity fair. He walks through the valley of humiliation. He walks even through the valley of the shadow of death. Everywhere 
He's walking, walking, walking to God. I love that picture. Because that's what Paul's telling us here. You're walking to glory. And you're not walking alone. You walk with Jesus. Because he has trod the same way himself. He'll bring us home. He'll see us there. And you know the thing is, just like Pilgrim's Progress, just like Christian, there are hindrances that you have to face and there are helps available for you to face the hindrances. So many of them. In Psalm 138, verse 7, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve me. Don't you like that? Because I walk in the midst of trouble every day of my life. You preserve me. You keep me. Alright, so let me give you some word of application. Number one, you must know the way. Number one, you must know the way to walk in the way. So teach me your way. Psalm 86, that I may walk in your truth. You must know the way to walk in it. Number two, you must lean on the word to walk in the right way. You need guidance. You need the scriptures. So your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light for my path. Psalm 119 verse 105. Your word, your law. So I must lean on the word to walk in the right way. Number three, you have to walk with Jesus. You cannot walk by yourself. You will stumble and you will fall. It's Jesus who keeps us from stumbling. I must walk with Jesus. It's only Jesus then who is able to heal the lame. And then they walk. And that's what we are, lame spiritually in sin. Jesus heals us. Finally, you should walk this way in the fear of the Lord. You should walk in love. You should walk in light. You should walk in wisdom. You should walk in truth. We've talked all about those things this morning. That's the way to walk in. I mean, how does a child walk? One step at a time. Every parent longs to see just the first step. They're not worried about step two, three, four, five. They know that if they can see number one, there will be number two, three, four, five. Just a matter of course. They long to see just the first step. Isn't that what it takes in the Christian life? Just the first step with Jesus. Walk with Jesus. Or walk as David says in Psalm 1, hey? Not in the way of the wicked, not in the counsel of the ungodly, not in the seat of the scornful. No. He says we're going to walk in two ways. And I close with this. Number one, David says I'm going to walk in the law of the Lord. That's his word. And when David talks about I'm walking in the law of the Lord, blessed is the man who walks in the law of the Lord. That's my delight. It's not just a duty. It's my delight. Make the word, the law of the Lord your delight. And then walk in it. Because if you delight in something, oh, you're greatly inclined to do it. But if it becomes a mere mechanical rote duty, oh, you'll struggle. Because there's no delight. First thing David says is your delight. Walk in the law of the Lord. And then he says, secondly, that man who's like that, he meditates on the law day and night. Now he's not talking about your delight, he's talking about your desire. Your desire for the Word. Let me ask you, what is your desire like for the Word of God? 
you get irritated if somebody, well that's maybe not the right way, but let me use it. You get irritated when somebody interrupts your reading of the word. I don't mean you're irritated in the bad sense, but you recognize that you lose something when you have to turn your attention elsewhere. That's why you have to set aside time, right? Uninterrupted time to meet Christ and to worship Him and walk in His way. So, my delight and my desire. And that's how the Christian is to walk in that way. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word that you've given us this morning about the walking Christian. That we're to walk in a manner worthy of our calling and walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And we desire to do that, gracious God. We pray that you would help us this morning to think about these things and this week to meditate perhaps on Colossians chapter 3 to see that we have died to sin and we are alive to God. How we thank you for the great work of the Lord Jesus on the cross. That he died to sin, died for our sins, and we now can die to sin. Help us, we pray, to live in the light of the glorious redemptive work of Christ. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for salvation. What a gift. We are justified by faith. It's not of ourselves. How merciful and gracious you have been because of the word. You've given us your word. That's why we send missionaries, Lord, to to translate your word so that people can read and come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we thank you now for these things that we've thought about this day. And we pray that you would do a sovereign work in each of our hearts and that you would transform us into the image and the likeness of your beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Father, we thank you for the time of fellowship, the lunch we can enjoy together. Thank you that we can be with Andrew and Claire and the children. We ask your blessing upon our fellowship time. We commit all things to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Will you take-